You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And I'm going to read some some scriptures to you uh, as we get into, uh, you know, talking more about idols. But uh, I, I want to talk tonight about probably the greatest idol that God recognized in the Bible. Um, he, he, uh, he pointed out this idol as the greatest threat to Christianity and the one that would be to have the hardest tug on the hearts of people, and that's the idol of money. God specifically states that in the Word. But before we get to that, I just want to read some scriptures. I know they're, they're common to many of us, maybe not to some of you, but you need, I just believe you needed to hear this tonight. In Romans 8, 31, it says, so what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? Paul's writing this to the Roman Christians. He's not been to Rome to minister to them, but he's writing to them, and they're under great persecution. And he's saying, listen, even though you're under all the, for this persecution and all these things are happening to you, that's not, nothing's compared to the glory of God. Man, what's coming and what's going to happen and what God's going to do, nothing's going to be compared to that. So he's like, if God be for you, man, who can stand against you? What? Don't, don't worry about the stuff that's happening down here so much. Keep your eyes focused on the things of God because he loves you and he's for you. He wants good things to happen to you. So often, man, we pit ourselves against God because something doesn't go our way and we, we blame it on God. And we're like, well, God, why aren't you doing this? And God, why aren't you doing that? Man, we need to hang on with a loyal love. Let me say that again. A loyal love that says, God, I believe you're always for me. Even when you're correcting me, I believe you're for me. You know, when I've corrected my children in times past, there's a scripture that says the rod of correction drives foolishness out of the heart of the child. And we would, I would spank them, and I'd, after I spanked them and comforted them, because uh, I always wanted to comfort them, comfort them, because God comforts us even when we blow it. God comforts us even when we blow it, even when we come in tears, say, God, I blew it. I made a terrible decision. It hadn't worked out. I'm hurting. And he, yeah, he'll correct us, but then he comforts us and dries our tears. And so that's what I would do. That's what I would do with the kids. They would, they would do that right there. They'd scream just like that. Because I spanked them. And then, man, I try to love on them and talk to them about that. I also tell, would tell them, listen, the Bible says, that if I don't discipline you, I hate you. That if I love you, I will discipline you. Now, we have a culture in this world, that idol of culture we talked about for several Wednesday nights, man, that, that says that discipline's ugly and correction is wrong. But that's not what our Father says. Our Father says, I correct the ones I love. So even when He corrects us, He still wants us to know that I'm correcting you because I'm for you. I want you, I want things to be better for you. I want to drive foolishness far from your heart so you don't do foolish things over and over and over again and get the results of that. Why? Because he loves us. He cares for us. So even when you're being corrected, man, welcome God's correction. King David, 
man, he blew it a lot, but he would welcome God's, he's like, I welcome your correction. And he would identify the things that he had done wrong. He would identify him. He'd say, yeah, I know I did this and I know I did that. And God, I confess. I confess that to you, Lord. And with confession comes forgiveness. And he would, in reconciliation, because he wanted to keep his relationship with God right. But he knew always, no matter what happened in his life, no matter if he sinned or didn't, no matter what happened, he knew to run to God because he believed thoroughly that God was good. And that he was for him, yes. And that he was for him. You know, hope, guys, hope is an unwavering belief that God is good. Let me say that again. Hope is an unwavering belief, unwavering that God is good. And that he wants to be good to me, to you. It's an unwavering hope. And we need to hang on to that and believe what he says and understand that nothing's going to compare to heaven. Nothing's going to compare to heaven. And that he's, but he's speaking that to us in this life. I'm for you, not against you. Don't treat me like I'm against you. Treat me like I'm for you. Open your heart and listen. Confess your sins and let me forgive you. I want to, he wants to forgive us. He wants to help us get things right and restore us. I, I, I love the way God loves us. In 38 and 39, he goes on to say, so now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Paul said, I live with a confidence. He said, I want you to live with a confidence that nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And he said this, I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. He wants to lavish his love, and he has lavished his love on us by sending his son to die for our sins and conquering sin and death for us. Amen. Why is it so important that we understand that when we're talking about the idol of money? Because, man, uh, where the Bible says where your heart is is where you're going to go. And we'll, we'll read that scripture when it comes to money. Money's the number one thing, the number one topic. I've said it many times because I want you to get used to hearing it. It's the number one topic that people do not want talked about in church ever. You can talk about it at Walmart. You could talk about it at the bank. You could talk about it at the bank that's charging you interest on money, that's using your money to make money. You could talk to them all day about money, and they're making money off of you. Talk to them any day. Talk, to, talk about money at the car dealership. Talk about money at the furniture store. Talk about money anywhere. At 7-Eleven, at you can talk about money. It's about money, right? If you try to walk out without paying, you'll find out real quick that it's about money. Right? And so, but the, the one place that no one wants to talk about it is in the church. Why is that? Because Satan's done an incredible job of convincing people that it's only your money when it comes to the church. Everywhere else, it's okay to talk about. 
You can talk about money at the school. You can talk to the money about money to the IRS. They'll talk to you about money. You can talk about money anywhere and everywhere. You can talk about money at your job. Just don't talk about it in the church. Why? Because the only threat that your money has is in the hands of God. It's in the hands of the body of Christ. That's the threat, real threat to his kingdom. So he's done a great job about, of lying about money in the body of Christ. A tremendous job of lying about it. And getting people to, to treat it like it's, a, it's, a, it's evil in the church. Wow. What a great job Satan has done. You know how good a job he's done? Only 3 to 5% of all people in America tithe. That means only 3 to 5% of all people that call themselves Christians actually support the church. Yeah, it got quiet here. Always gets quiet when we talk about the idol of money. Because when it comes to everything else, man, you want God involved except in your money. That's how most people, not you, but that's how most people are. Maybe some of you. And God has a lot to say about that. That's why... Because it's the number one topic. You know the number one thing that people are going to vote about. This, they said their number one topic is the economy, is money. I'll say this. If they put some other things in front of that, money won't be an issue. If they'll, put, if they'll put voting based on the things of God and on character and on what is right and on saving babies and on doing things that are right. And treating people right, take care of the elderly and our children, and doing things right. If we'll put those things in front of the economy, we would never have to worry about the economy. The economy will take care of itself. And if you, if you believe in God and you're, you're sold out to the kingdom of God and you don't, you don't think you're um, giving your tithe or your money to the church. You're actually bringing it to God, not giving it to him. You're bringing back what is his. If you live like that, you'll never have to worry about the economy either. As long as you're not doing that, thinking that somehow this is some kind of get-rich-quick scheme that God has put together. No, it's a manner of heart and honor. I, I bring my tithe to this church and have tithe since I was 19 years old. Amen. I brought the tithe. I wasn't giving God anything. I was bringing to God what belongs to him. Amen. And through the tithe is how God taught me how to not be greedy and envious and jealous and not, not to be a taker but to be a giver. Amen. That's how he's designed it. And he's blessed me because I've supported his work Financially, he's blessed my family over and over and over again. He's taking care of us. He's taking good care of us. We've always had food on the table. We've always had a roof over our head. He's, he's been good to us. My children have had shoes on their feet and clothes on their back. Well, Pastor, that's pretty simple. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes you got to be blessed with the simple. And if you're not blessed and grateful for that, God will never give you anything else. Amen. Till you get grateful for what you do have and what he has done and how good he's already been. I like this word that Paul uses in the Passion Version. I live with confidence. I'm confident of his love. I like it. We need to be confident that he loves us 
It's that confidence in his love that has kept me going for these 40 uh, some plus years uh, of serving him. It's just a confidence that he loves me and that he's for me and not against me. If I didn't have that, there's a thousand times I would have quit. But because I have this confidence that he's forming and he loves me, when it looks the darkest, he comes through the best. When I'm, when I'm at my worst, he still gives me his best. He's a forgiving God and a loving God, and he's a giving God. He's a giver. God's generous. I mean, he's generous. He's incredible how generous he is. And he wants a people that are, that are generous. And he wants to bless people that are generous. And that their, their idol is not money, but their idol and their only object of worship is God Almighty. Amen. And that money's not even a, not, a, not, any, not a fight inside of you. That's why he established giving and tithing. Because he, wanted, he didn't want that fight to continually take place in your life. He wanted to teach you how to overcome a saying, being five years old. What do I mean by that? When you're three, four, and five, your favorite word is mine. He wants you to grow up past that. He wants us all to grow up past that and say, no, God, everything in my life is yours. Every good gift I have, every paycheck I get is yours. If you only ask me to bring you 10%, then that's awesome. But if you want it all, I'll give you all of it. See, he's looking for a heart that will honor him. He's looking. He wants to bless you when you become a blessing. A lot of times we say, well, God, if, you, if I win the lottery, I'll do this, this, and this. No, he's not playing that game. He's not going to do that. I was going to go into Joel, but I'll, I'll get to that next week. Oh, there's, there's seven, uh, seven unbelievable blessings that come through the atonement that God talks about in, through the prophet Joel that we'll get to next time. But right now, I, I, I want to look at some other scriptures about how God wants to bless and how God thinks about the heart of a person. Go with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. In verse 2 and 3, it says this. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm, harm, Others to selfishly obtain what you crave. You want to harm people to get what you want. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it. For you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. It amazes me how many times people ask God to heal them. And that even when he does heal some of them, they go right back to living the way they were. I mean, they get healed, and then they go right on and use their health to go out and do whatever they still want to do. There's no change. Or I believe a lot of people don't get healed because they don't have a heart to change. And that's not every circumstance, but that's a lot of circumstances. What are you going to use that health for? For yourself or for God? And so a lot of people ask God, make me rich, God. Give me this, God. Give me that, God. And their motive is that as soon as they get it, they're going to run off with it and go do whatever they want. That's what he's saying. You have wrong motives when you ask me. 
God wants to say yes. We know that. He said it. He said, all of my promises are yes, except for two reasons. One, you don't ask, and two, you ask with the wrong motive. He said, that's the only time my, my promises are no. It's no if you don't ask, and no, no if you ask for a wrong motive, that you're going to take what you get from me and go do what you want to do with it instead of what I ask you to do with it. So God's, God's a God of the heart. Man, he doesn't want, he said, we're called to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He wants us here, not here. He wants us in the front, not in the back. But the, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of Christians aren't experiencing the promises of God because their heart isn't right towards God. You can't want what he has without wanting him first to get it. Everybody wants what he has. I hear the word blessing thrown around by everybody you can think of. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And then I, I find out about their life later. They're not blessed. They don't even know the God of blessing. They just throw that word around, trying to act like everything's so great in their life until their life gets exposed. God wants to bless and it's his heart to bless. He prefers blessing over anything. He prefers mercy over justice. That's it. He's got a preference. His preference is to bless, not curse. His, bless, his preference is to have mercy, not to pass judgment. That, that's his preference on everything. We need to have a preference. Our preference needs to be God over everything. It needs to be God over everything. God, I take you over everything. You tell me to do this, I'll do it. You tell me to do that, I'll do it. You say to do this, I'll do it. And I prefer you over everything. How do I know I prefer God over everything? Do you delight in his word? He says in Proverbs, if you delight in my word, I'll give you the desires of your heart. If you'll commit your ways to me, I'll bring those desires to pass. So he said, listen, if you delight in me first, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And if you commit your way to me first, then I'll bring those desires to pass. It all comes down to the heart. So many people want the blessings of God. They want to be financially blessed. And they say, well, when that happens, I'll bless and I'll give and I'll do this and I'll do that. But guys, it comes down to where your heart is at with God. Let me give you some characteristics of greed. Characteristics of greed. Just, just judge your own heart in this. Don't judge the person next to you. Just judge your own heart in this. Okay? God said judge yourself first, right? Judge yourself first. One, do you ignore people when you see them in need and you can meet their needs? Do you ignore them? When you know you can do something for them. And I'm not talking about these people that are con artists on the street. Man, everywhere I go now, we're in Phoenix, Albuquerque, everywhere I go, there's more and more people that are fully capable of working that are just playing games out there. It's like a way of living now. I guess that's, my wife said, that's their job. That's their new job. Well, I'm not going to, I'm only going to help in those situations if the Spirit of God tells me to. I'm not just naturally going to, I'm not going to throw my money away to some, because God said, if you're lazy, you shouldn't expect to eat. 
And I see a lot of laziness and a lot of people don't want to work. They don't want to make any commitment. They don't want any responsibility. They just want to do their thing. Well, I'm not going to, pro- I'm not going to bless that. Unless God specifically tells me to, I'm not automatically blessing that. But do you see needs of others and you can meet them and you ignore them? Number two, you never, ever have enough money. You're never satisfied at any level. Never. I I know one way God taught me about greed. He said, I, I was talking to somebody I was selling something to somebody, and I sold it, and I thought later, Dad, come it, I should have asked for more. And God spoke to me right there. He said, that's greed. He said, did you get what you asked for? And I said, yes. He said, then you walked away thinking, oh, man, that guy got a good deal over me, and I should ask for more. I could have got a little bit more for that. I should ask just 10 bucks more. He said, that's greed. He said, stop that. You got what you asked for? Be content. If they go out and sell it and make $100,000 next week, you'd be happy that you got what you wanted out of it. That's greed. When you always think you're paying too much or always think you're selling it for too little and always thinking I could have got more, 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 and more, that's greed. Set your price, sell it, move on if you get it. Praise God for it. You, you constantly, number three, you constantly work, 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 and the rest of your life is a wreck. I know so many people that live like this right here. They work, 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 make money, 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 and their families are falling apart. Their health is falling apart. I had a boss fall. fall. He hit the ground so hard dead that that thump on the ground to, this, to, the, to the day Years later, when any kind of noise sounded like that, the whole office would jump because he felt dead at work. I mean, he was dead before he hit the ground of a heart attack, and his family was a wreck. He had a lot of money. Guess what? When he died, he didn't take it with him. He came in empty-handed, and he left empty-handed. But he left a mess behind him. Why? Because he never was enough. Work, 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 work. Money, 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 money. Paycheck, 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 paycheck. Titles, 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 titles. And the rest of his life he didn't care about. If the rest of your life is, is a wreck and you're working night and day nonstop, you're in greed. Stop it. It will, it will cost you your life. You'll leave a mess behind too. Number four, one of the other characteristics of greed is you have no self-control over buying stuff and finances. No self-control. Or, so you have no stewardship. You don't steward your money well. You buy and sell and do everything emotionally. You don't do anything out of wisdom. That's a characteristic of greed. Another characteristic of greed is you never spend any money. Too loose, too tight. God wants you to be able to say yes and no based on good, wise stewardship, not just out of some emotion or feeling. You know why car salesmen have you take the car home? They want, they're like, take it. Drive it home. Why? Because they want you to get in that new car, drive it around like, I can't live without this bad boy. Man, it smells better than my old car, drives better, cleaner. I mean, they want you to take it home. They want you to, to do it. That's why they'll say, hey, man, we'll, if you don't, you can bring it back in 60 days. You know how many people ever send anything back? Hardly ever. 
You can send it back. They know that's not going to happen. Some people are too lazy to send it back even if they don't like it. And most people, once they get it, it's newer than what they have. They're going to keep it. Why? Because Satan is counting on you buying and selling emotionally and through your flesh and not through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and his word when it comes to finances. I know others that are so tight they won't spend a dime on anything. Their answer is no to everything except what they want. Their answer is no to their wife, no to their husband, no to their kids. It's no, 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 unless I want something. That's another form of greed. No, I'm not going to give. No, I'm not going to support. No, I'm not going to help. It's no, 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 no. God wants us to use his wisdom and his stewardship that he talks about in his word in the leading of the Holy Spirit to know when to say yes and when to say no. Because it's not always yes and it's not always no. We need to know when it is yes and when it is no. When we're supposed to help and when we're not supposed to. When we should spend the money and when we shouldn't. I don't know how many times Julie and I have talked and said, yeah, man, we'll, we'll get this. We have the finances. We can pay cash for that. We'll go get this. And then, man, I'll just, well, I'll have a check, and I'll come back and say, babe, I just got this check. And she'll go, I know, I do too. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. Matter of fact, that happened to us in January where we were going to do something, and we both had a check. And then, man, I, I said, okay, God, you're not going to let us spend it. Can we give it? And he said, Absolutely. So we gave an extra check to the church, a pretty big check to the church instead of spending that money on what we wanted. He wanted us to sow, not, not harvest at that time. He's like, this is a time to sow, not to harvest. And when you listen to that, that means God trying to set you up for a greater harvest. But you gotta listen. You gotta listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you gotta operate with the wisdom of God when it comes to stewardship. It's not always yes, it's not always no. Let me say this too when it comes to greed. Envy and greed are friends. Envy, greed says, I never have enough for me. Envy says, I not only want what I want, but I want what you have. I want what you have. I want to not only want to get mine, I want to take yours from you. I don't want you to have anything better than me. That's envy. Envy and greed work together. They work, they're best friends. Those spirits, those demonic spirits are best friends. And they all serve. Envy and greed serve one God. His name is Mammon. The Bible talks about the God of money, Mammon. And that's Satan himself. He wants to control the finances. If every person that called themselves a Christian would actually just tithe, not even give an offering, but just tithe, the church would have an extra $139 billion a year. 139 billion. You know what we could do with that? We could eliminate poverty. There wouldn't be a child going hungry. There wouldn't be a place that we couldn't provide jobs and help people. There would not be, there, there would always be a rehab center. There would always be a homeless shelter. There'd always be a soup kitchen. There, there wouldn't be a need we could not meet. But Satan has done such a good job, he's got at least 95% of all Christians not even bringing the tithe, let alone even thinking about being generous. No church would ever have to take a loan to build a building. We'd never have to go to the bank and ask permission. I have to go to the bank to ask permission. I hate it, to be honest with you. I hate going to bankers, to the world, and asking permission to build the kingdom of God. I hate it with a passion. But 
you do what you got to do to keep expanding the kingdom. When people don't do what they're supposed to do. People who are greedy, they lack empathy. They never look and say, man, if I could do something, I would. Or I can do something, I will. People that are greedy are never satisfied. Here's one I really like. Not like, but I think is is really good. People that are greedy and love money more than God, they manipulate other people. They'll, they'll do what we call brown nosing. They'll, they'll, do, they'll say anything, do anything, and then they'll talk behind someone's back, but they'll manipulate anybody they think is rich, anybody that they think can give them something. I, I've known ministers like that. I've known, I've known co-workers that were like that. I mean, they, they'd say, oh, boss, you're great. They want something from the boss. And then behind their back, they're like, ah, they're terrible, they're horrible. Uh, but they'll, they'll manipulate, they'll lie, they'll, they'll deceive They won't compliment people. They'll flatter them. Flattery is a form of, that's telling you something that's not true about yourself, but trying to make you feel good and like them more so you'll give them something. I see people that get around rich people. My gosh, it's unreal how manipulative they come, and they want to get in their graces, and they want to be around people with money all the time. That's greed. Hoping that, that they'll write them a check or do something for them. And they operate in the ministries of hints all the time. Family members and others, I've seen them, they operate in the ministry of hints. Ah, oh, you know, I wish I had new tires. I'm praying about having new tires. I see you got new tires. They're always operating the ministry of hints of what they don't have and what they need instead of praying to God. Instead of sowing into God's kingdom, instead of doing things right, that's what greedy people do. That's what people who worship money do. We're not called to be worshipers of money. God said, quit worrying about all these these things you need in this life. Stop serving money. Matthew 6, go with me. Matthew 6. Church, man, people who worship and serve money, they, they're always worried about everything. Ultimately, our faith just has to be in God to supply. He says in Matthew 6, verse 19, don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, Stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will not, never rust, decay, or lose their value. What is a heavenly treasure? It's people. People going to heaven. He says, stockpile heavenly treasures. Mm-mm-mm. I like the thought of that. Stockpile heavenly treasures. For your heart will always pursue. This is the scripture. Listen to this. For your heart will always, always. Everybody say always. always. Pursue what you value as your treasure. Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, everybody say money. 
But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. I don't know how many times we've been blasted for teaching on tithing and giving at our church. We've been called all kinds of names over it. We've been accused of looking at people's tax returns and making sure they're tied. We've been accused of everything. Man, one guy over this situation, over the election, uh, uh, by the way, get out and vote for Lieutenant uh, James Mason. Get out and vote for him. Get out and vote for Sheriff Harrington. Vote, 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 vote for these Christian men. But, uh, uh, you know, one guy said, uh, I think it's wrong what old Pastor Troy said. I'll just stay at my poor church. You know, that guy's a rich guy. It reminded me of what Judas said when that year's worth of perfume was given to Jesus, to the body of Christ. He said, oh, she should have given it to me, would have sold it and given it to the poor. Same attitude. Can I tell you that people like that will never come to our church? You know why? Because they'll never tithe. They don't want to be generous. They think it's all theirs. And they don't want to hear from the word. They want to hear, they want to get permission from their pastor and their church to never have to tithe, to never have to be generous, to never have to give unless they want to do it and they want to look good and they want someone to see it. It's all about them. That's that same statement. Oh, I'll stay at my poor church. Stay at your poor church that does nothing because you give nothing. You do nothing. You have nothing to give. You don't want anything happen to anybody else. So stay at your poor church. We're not the poor church. We're the generous church. Just in the last 20 years, we've given away $4.2 million. That's what we've done. You hear it all the time. Man, I love what Church on the Move does. I love what Church on the Move does. Some of those same critics are the ones that don't give anything. They'll compliment, but they won't come to church here. Why don't they just come to church here if we do so much? And I've had them say, you guys do so much. My church doesn't do anything. I'm like, well, either start, start giving to your church and turn that around or just get out of there and come here. I don't say that, but that's what I want to say. I say, thank you, and I move on. And I think that's the silliest reasoning I've ever heard. I'm always, I've always been, and I always will be part of a generous church. We'll be generous. I said, we'll be generous. Because our God is generous. We gave away more during COVID when everybody was tightening their belt than we had any of the previous years. That's what God does. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? If you focus on money and money's your deal and money's your God, he said the light cannot enter. How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. I've told people to say, Pastor, I can never be home. I can never be with my family. My, my marriage isn't good. My kids aren't doing well because I'm never home. I never get to go to church. I never get to do this. I'm thinking, man, dude, find another job. What's that worth? 
What's it worth to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Get in that praying and say, God, open another door. I'm going to walk right through it. Matter of fact, I'm going to go looking, God, for another job so I can have my marriage and I can be home with my kids and I can do something with my family and I can be in church and serve. Wow, find another job. God's better than that. Only money would drive you like that. Only the sorry demon called mammon would drive your life and ruin you. Ruin your life over money. Don't let it happen. God said this. This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your father than they? So which of you by worrying could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, and yet not even Solomon and all his splendor were robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burnt, won't he provide for you the clothes you need, even though you live with such little faith? So then forsake your worry. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? But that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Otherwise, put his kingdom first. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. I don't know how many people have learned at our church how to tithe. And it's changed. You hear some of the testimonies Pastor Sean shares with you. They've just learned to be givers and to tithe and to honor the Lord and how they are just constantly blessed. One of them, uh, a family in our church, man, he, he had one of those oil-filled jobs. Made 120000 a year. And his life was a wreck. His family was a wreck. His marriage was a wreck. He had all that money. And guess what? He was broke. He was broke. He thought he'd made it with that check. He was broke. He got out of that, got saved, got a job that didn't pay near as much, still doesn't. Been working at it almost 10 years. He is debt-free, owns his house, debt-free, happy, has a great marriage. His kids are awesome Christian kids. I mean, it changed his meeting Jesus and learning how to trust God financially and being a tither has changed his world. In every aspect. In every aspect. That's somebody that's sitting right here, born and raised in Roswell, sitting in this church with us. If it could happen for them, it could happen for you. But you know what he decided? He said, God, you're first. Not money. Not this other stuff. Not drinking. Not all the drugs he was doing. Not all the junk. He said, God, you're first. And man, God has just, over time, just continually blessed his life, his wife, his children. God said, those who favor my righteous cause. Otherwise, you, you, your heart favors God's cause of reaching people. He said, I will make them rich. That word rich means you'll have more than enough and you'll have money to give away. 
It doesn't mean what we think rich means. That it's just like you'll be a billionaire. He said, you'll, you'll be blessed in all that you put your hand to. You'll have more than enough to meet all your needs and more. You'll be able to give and live and, and I'll bless you, but your body will be healthy. Your, your relationships will be healthy. It means whole. It means complete. It means rich in this life and ready for the next one because God is first. God is first. Don't let money be your God. Gosh, money's terrible, God. Destroy your whole life. Destroy every relationship. Put God first. Amen? Oh, wow. Um, every eye closed here online. Listen, I, I started off with just how much God loves us. And, you know, I, I was praying today. I said, and he's told me this many times. And I don't know if it just... People just need to hear this more. But every time I, I prayed, I said, God, what do you want me to say to him? And this is what he said to me today. He said, tell them I love them. So I want to just say this. Uh, I believe I heard from my father. Uh, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you'll learn to love him, and have a loyal love to him in the darkest and the brightest days of your life. He'll teach you. He'll grow you. He'll change you. He'll help you. And most importantly, most importantly, you'll spend a lifetime here being a blessing. You'll leave a blessing, not a curse on your family, on your friends, on people that know and care about you, on your friendships. You don't want to leave a curse. You want to leave a blessing. I've seen people leave a curse. Man, they die without anything to give. Can't even pay for their own funeral. They've planned for nothing, thought about nothing. Thought about no one but themselves, lived for themselves. Wow, it's, it's a sad way they leave. God didn't want you to leave like that. He didn't want you to live like that or leave like that. And most importantly, he wants you to spend a lifetime in heaven, an eternal lifetime, which is forever. He's like, man, if you've seen goodness on this planet, you see the beauty of this place, of the stars and the mountains, the prairies, the valleys, the oceans, whatever. You see the beauty of the sunrise and sunset. It's nothing compared to the beauty of heaven. This is forever. This is a forever thing. But your heart has to want a relationship with him. You have to want to know him. You know, no one wants to be used. God, God doesn't want to be used. He won't be used. So you have to want to know God and you have to want to submit your life to him and say, God, I recognize you're God, I'm not. And whether for the first time that you're watching online or you're here in this auditorium in this sanctuary, or maybe it's the next time that you've just been far away. Maybe you ran away for whatever the reason. And you just need to come home. I, I want to tell you something. God welcomes you home with open arms. Man, he's not a God that gives you the cold shoulder, the silent treatment. No, man, he'll welcome you in his kingdom and welcome you home 
with open arms. He'll receive you just like you are. But if you'll stick around and you'll really serve him and build a relationship with him, he'll, he won't leave you the way you are. He will not leave you the way you are. He'll, he'll change you and grow you and help you. He'll help you become the best version of yourself you possibly can be. He'll teach you how to, how to be a blessing and walk in his blessings and live a life of blessing others and receiving his goodness. I mean, ah, oh, and in the deepest, darkest times that we all face and the troubles, man, he'll be right there with you. He'll lead you out and over and around those moments. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Nothing will be able to separate you from his love. So if you've never prayed and you want to pray here online, man, let's pray right now. Or maybe you've known him before and you've ran away and you just need to pray and just come home. And so whether it's your first time or your next time, Let's pray right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do online. I'm going to ask you just to send us a message and say, I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. Here in this room, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up and say, it's me. I need to pray. And then after you send that online, after you raise your hand in here, right where you're seated or right where you're at online, we're going to pray. And if you're watching this on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, two weeks from now, listen, that prayer still counts. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it because it's not live. It's live to you and God's speaking to you even if it's weeks later. Just like he speaks through the Bible. It was written thousands of years ago, still speaking to us. This, this message will still speak to you no matter what time it is. Pray, pray. Get right with God. And so send that message now if you're online in this room on the count of three, just raise your hand up high and then put it down and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. I'm going to lay down all my idols. I'm going to get this right with God. I'm going to serve him the rest of my life. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand up high and say, it's me. Thank you. All over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Golly, so many. Thank you. Thank you. All over the room. Wow. Let's pray now. Those online and those here, let's all pray together. Say this. Together, church, say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. I lay down all my idols. I lay them all down. Everything that my heart has pursued above you, I lay that down. And tonight, right now, I put you first. Now, I'm going to need your help living that way, changing my thinking, my attitudes. And I ask for your help right now to live that way from this night onward. Because I believe and I'm convinced that you love me. And because you do, you sent Jesus And he died for my sins that kept us apart. And you raised him from the dead. And he's alive. And you conquered sin and eternal death to save my life. I'm convinced that you love me that much. 
And because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your forgiveness, your mercy. And I say to you, Jesus, as your life was not your own, and you gave it to save me, I give my life to you so others can come to know you. You are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life from this day forward. Teach me how to live for you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in me now and for all the adventures and blessings that I'll walk in from this day onward. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for how good He is. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.